Hi guys, hi everybody. Uh, I hope you're doing well. Um, wish I could see your faces, wish I could hear your voice, wish we could sit down and talk in the same room together, but at least we have the technology and that's good. Thank you, Jesus. Um, I wanna clarify something. It needs to absolutely be clarified. And God's putting, putting it in my heart. I mean, I've, I've known about it for a while, but didn't feel the need to really address it this way. But um, of course my eyes were open to it too. So that's a good enough reason to share it. But there's um, when 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 we have so many people in this world that are that are needing needing healing, whether it's emotional healing or spiritual healing or especially physical healing, we pray for those things. We don't want people we know. We don't want people we love. We don't want people in the body of Christ or out of the body of Christ that we care about to be going through sickness or cancer or prolonged illness or pain or broken limbs or anything like that or worse. So our natural inclination, especially since we don't know what to do, is to pray for them. That's the compassion. Even though we're humans and we're sinful, we do have a degree of compassion for people and we don't want ourselves to be in that condition. And so we don't want that for other people either, especially if we've experienced it ourselves. We're more apt to pray for other people in those positions because we know what it's like. But the reason I'm addressing it today and it needs to be addressed to the whole entire body of Christ. But, um, and, I, and I don't say this to give you the wrong impression, okay? God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, definitely, definitely want to heal. And they can heal, and they do heal. So don't get me wrong. Let's clarify that up front. But what I do hear from time to time is praying for healing, but no praying for endurance through the healing or, or, or willingness to suffer or, um, or to, to, to bypass the prayer for the wellness and being able to put up with the, uh, the, um, the hardship, um, uh, to say the least of, of, of needing healing physically, other ways too, but physically, especially. And James talks about this uh, all throughout the Bible. It, there's plenty of evidence in both the Old and the New Testament that while God does heal and definitely does it, even miraculously at times, we don't want to overlook the fact that many times we wrongly assume that it's always God's will to heal because there's benefit in suffering. Okay, and the reason I want to clarify this, not just to get uh, a full glimpse of what scripture talks about on the subject, which is important, but also so that if God chooses to put us through a, a, a time or a season, short or long, where we have to endure and go through something, and we pray to God, I prayed, I have faith, why are you not healing me? Why is this taking so long? Well, you know, and now you know, okay? I mean, keep praying for healing because we don't always know what his will is in a given situation. So pray for healing. But at the same time, be very open to not throw a temper tantrum in your heart when you don't get healed at all or in the time that you think you should. There's great benefit in suffering. Hebrews 12 talks about how hard and painful discipline is, but God says it's a form of love. In fact, if I don't discipline you, then I don't love you and you're illegitimate children. So in the same way, if I always, always heal you, but I don't let you go through some, some necessary times of 
of um, physical discomfort or pain or prolonged suffering, that it doesn't have value for your life. So while there are many instances of healing in the Old Testament and the New Testament, I would venture to say there's probably a whole lot more um, to be spoken of and taught, even in the, our Lord's lips, that talk about suffering when it doesn't go away. So I want to start this by putting your attention, okay? Remember Ecclesiastes. I don't know how many of us have read this, but I'm sure you've heard this. In chapter 3, verse 1, before it goes through a, a fairly long list of things, because it doesn't mention healing directly, but it says, it says this. It says it first of all, and it says it plainly. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And this is a book that's dedicated to wisdom. I'm talking about Ecclesiastes as well as Proverbs and others, okay? But God says there's a season for everything under heaven. In other words, just because you're going through something and it's unpleasant to say the least, doesn't mean it's not supposed to happen. It's not God's will for it to happen. There isn't a good reason for it to happen. There isn't benefit in it, okay? There's a there's a time for everything. And though that's not listed there, it should be. <laughs> well, I say it should be. Of course, God's going to list everything. He should, shouldn't add to it or take away from it. But, but and perhaps if I go back and read that, you know, you could see it, um, indirectly in those in those words but when it says for everything there is a season okay well suffering is included under the the umbrella of everything now remember this too jesus christ often is called or known as the suffering servant why because he suffered in so many ways but his ultimate suffering remember this his ultimate suffering was at the cross as he hung in agony bearing your sins and my sins and the sins of the whole world and in propitiation as he suffered the just wrath of God that our sins deserve. Now, since he is God and he is sinless and he did suffer, are we to do no less? Should we who are sinful escape suffering if he who is perfect did not escape it? And if we had not submitted, if he had not submitted to the suffering, should I say, excuse me, then man, humankind, you and me, would not be reconciled to God ever. So that's great benefit in his suffering, but there's great benefit in our suffering too. So that's the greatest, that's the greatest by far benefit of suffering. We didn't have to suffer that death on the cross. We didn't have to suffer the death that we deserve. He did. But he willingly submitted himself to it. He said that. He said, nobody made me do this. I laid myself down of my, I laid my lap down of my own accord. I made up my mind as an act of my will to do it on purpose. Nobody took my life away from me. I laid it down voluntarily. The ultimate act of suffering. He did say in his humanity, even though he's fully God and fully man in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember three times he prayed for God to take him away, not have to drink that cup, take it away from him. But that was just his human side being scared and fearful and suffering, knowing in advance what he was going to have to suffer, even though we don't often know in advance what we have to suffer. But he knew it. But he ended up, even though he said, please take it away, he ultimately said, not my will, not what I want, but your will and what you want. 
And because he submitted to that, great, great, universal, universal and eternal benefit came from that. Remember that. In John 11, verses 1 through 16, you might remember, you might remember this. Okay, Lazarus became ill and he even died. Okay, we would certainly consider an illness that leads to death suffering, would we not? We would, as believers, we would pray for someone in that condition to be healed. Absolutely. And not knowing better in this case, we would consider it beneficial to intercede on Lazarus's behalf. However, the Lord shows us two reasons, in this case, why the suffering was the will of God and why it was good. First, Jesus says in verse 4, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. That was reason number one, and that's enough. But then, anytime the Lord is exalted and magnified, it's good. Amen? Second reason, in verse 14, he says, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad that I wasn't there. And we can say, in order to heal him before he died. That's what he meant to say, okay? That's what he didn't include in the sentence, but that's what he said. So first he says, this illness did not lead to death. It's for the glory of God and so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Number one. Number two, Lazarus has died, even though he's going to be brought back to life. And for your sake, I'm glad that I wasn't there. Why? So that you may believe. But let us go to him. So as we read on in verses 30, 43, excuse me, and 44, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and does bring him back to life. As we talked about before, signs and wonders confirming the word. Amen. Okay. So Jesus gives us two reasons other than his own death on the cross. That Lazarus's death alone had two reasons, two good benefits for suffering. Okay. Again, there's great benefit in suffering. Healing is not always Many times is, but not always. And I would even venture to say not usually. His will. I want you to get this. Okay, again, in Romans 5, verses 3 and 4, it says this. But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. So suffering is not to be viewed primarily as something that should be avoided, amen? Okay, or prayed away, or of no value. It shows us here it's of great value. And, and, and we should go so far as to rejoice and be glad in it. Of course, that's a very difficult thing. That's going to take many seasons to get to that point. But Jesus wants to bring us there, amen? But... The point is, there's another reason to show us that suffering has great value. It produces endurance, and that produces character, and that produces hope. Oh, already we've got five reasons that suffering is good. Now go back to James that we mentioned in the beginning, okay? It says in chapter 1, 
something very similar, but stronger, in verses 2 through 4. James says, boldly, he says, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials, sufferings of various kinds, okay, different types. He says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And he says, and let, that means an act of our will. We have a choice to will it. We have a choice to decide to let it happen. He says, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So it's telling us that in order to grow and mature and continually be sanctified and become more Christ-like, which is our ultimate goal, and purpose in this life. Suffering is an, an integral part of life, not something to be avoided, not something that's, uh, that's odd, not something that's strange, but something that's fairly common, as a matter of fact. And God the Father shows this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, that when we are mindful of him, when we're thinking about him, and we endure unjust sufferings, he sees that as a gracious thing in his eyes. It's pleasing to him. Okay. It also says we've been called to this. Okay. That means we're, we're, we're not, not only is it something that's not uncommon, it is common, but we've been called to it. It's something we're supposed to eventually have to go through. It says, as Christ suffered and set for us an example, we're to follow in his steps. Since we've been called to this, the Bible tells us, we've been called to suffering, okay? It's normal, and it's part of God's perfect plan. Yes, I said perfect plan, because everything God does is perfect, okay? Therefore, we shouldn't be too hasty to, to not allow it to happen and to let it have its full effect, not its partial effect, but its full effect. It means we shouldn't pray it away. That means we should actually embrace our sufferings. I know those are like three words that should never be in the same sentence almost, okay? But it says we should embrace our sufferings. James, James says rejoice in our sufferings. Because without them, we won't, they won't produce steadfastness. We won't have endurance. We won't have hope. We won't have character. And that's part of becoming more Christ-like. That's part of being sanctified. So it's got to happen. Okay, again, I can think of in Acts, okay, in it's chapter 5, verse 41. It tells us that after some of the apostles suffered beatings at the hands of the Pharisees, the word says they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus Christ. But not just not to suffer dishonor, but in the in that suffering, in that dishonoring includes humiliation and beatings that they didn't deserve. Okay, they were unjust sufferings. God says it's a gracious thing when you endure unjust suffering, because Jesus did the same thing. And like I just said, we were called so these things are normal. They're not abnormal. Suffering is a is um it's a godly means of purification, also. Okay. Titus 2, 
14. It's referring to Jesus. And it says, He who, it says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. We also read this in uh, 1 Peter 4, uh, verses 1 and 2 say this. It says, <clears throat> well, let me say it this way, okay? I'm going to say it out of quotes, I guess. But it's since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. That means have the same mindset. Think the same way, okay? Since Christ suffered when he was in the flesh, while we're in the flesh, we are going to suffer also. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased to sin, has ceased from sin, excuse me. Our bodies are still going to sin from time to time, but our hearts have been cleansed. God no longer sees us as sinful if we've been born again. Okay, so if we have suffered in the flesh, we have ceased from purposeful, willing, and presumptive sin. Okay, so as to live for the rest of the time in our bodies, in our flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Suffering enables us, brothers and sisters, to, to die to the flesh and live for God. This is the right mindset. And it was Paul's, too, when he had God's perspective. He says for us not to lose heart when these things happen, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18 assures us, assures us, for this light momentary affliction, yes, I said that about suffering. I didn't say it. Paul said it. Actually, Paul wrote it, and the Holy Spirit said it, okay? For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, okay? They're passing, they're temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. And this isn't to make light of ours or other people's sufferings, believe me, especially in health matters. But it's to remind us that healing doesn't always come when or how we want, sometimes at all, okay? But it's to remind us it doesn't always come when or how we want, okay? Can we pray to be healed? Since we don't know the will of God every time or in every area? Yes, okay? But let's remember and be ready and willing to accept the higher purposes that the Father works through suffering. Again, healing is not always his will. In 2 Corinthians 11, Verses 23 through 28, Paul lists many of his sufferings, okay? Again, not to make light of anything we go through, but to put it into the right and healthy, godly perspective, okay? The brevity and the lightness of our sufferings. As Paul said, a light momentary affliction, okay? He says about himself, he reminds the, the other saints, the, the new believers, he says, Far he endured far greater labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. 
He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. It means he got whipped 39 times at one occasion and did that on five separate occasions. Then he says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day adrift at sea. Can you spend, can you imagine all night and daytime clinging onto a piece of wood or a cleat while you're floating around in the water it, 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 in the sea? Oh my gosh, and three times, three times that happened to him. And he says, on, on frequent journeys, long journeys on foot, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, amen to that, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness and the animals, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. And in a way that, that hurts more than physical suffering. He said, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. He says, and apart from these things, he says, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches that I'm trying to establish and, and, and mature in Christ and teach them. That's a lot of suffering, brothers and sisters. That's a lot of suffering and a wide variety of suffering. We would complain probably about one. He's been through all this, all this, and he's calling it a light momentary affliction. That's because he sees it from God's perspective, not from the here and now, not from myself, okay? Yet in, in that variety of sufferings, yet in the very next chapter, his same letter to the same people, he admits this. He admits to praying away a persistent, nagging, difficult, even vexing, what he calls a thorn in the flesh, okay? He says, which was a demon sent by the Lord. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. God sent a demon to be a thorn in the flesh to Paul? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. But he had a purpose in it. Suffering, and why? He says, because it gave him a great revelation. Paul says, I don't know if it was in the body or out of the body. I have no idea, but I saw a revelation of heaven and I'm not even allowed to talk about it because it was so excellent. He said, the reason I was given a thorn in the flesh was so that I wouldn't be proud when I was tempted to tell people about it. And I wouldn't say, oh, look how great I am. I got to see revelation nobody else did. That's the way knowledge, knowledge does sometimes. That's the, that's the way the human heart wants to do. We always want to see ourselves as better than other people. Why? So we can not face our own sin. But anyway, when he did this, he said, I, pray, I prayed it away. Three times I asked the Lord to take this away from me. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough for you. For Because my power, God says, is made perfect in your weakness. And then Paul goes on to say after that, oh, that, that's the case. And I'll, I'll brag about my weakness, you know, because he's happy about that when he understands why. And God is not trying to inflict something upon Paul. But when we are weak and we don't try and do things ourselves, we don't depend on ourselves. We realize how finite and futile most of our efforts are. Then when we are weak, we depend on God and he is 
he, he is empowered by our weakness to have more of his full weight of power and grace come in and work and be sufficient when ours is miserably lacking. So that's a good thing, and that's because of suffering. Will we not see his power? We will not see, excuse me, we will not see his power or see its perfection if it leaves us. There will be no need for his grace. And isn't that what brought us into the kingdom to begin with? Absolutely. Again, let's remind each other, healing is not always his will. Now let's be honest with ourselves, okay? Concerning at least the possibility, let alone the probability, that at times our sufferings are brought about by us, right? Yes, yes, absolutely, okay? By our disobedience or by our own sins, okay? What does it say in Hebrews 12, 3 through 11? That's the one you should read. It talks about the fact that discipline is a form of love and suffering, if it brings about the perfection of Christ and gets us ready to enter into the kingdom of heaven and make us perfect so we can dwell with the Father for all eternity, that's a benefit. That's a good thing too, okay? Um, this verse, okay, these verses, it, 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 it's a gem. It's a treasure, okay? It's a treasure of truth is what it is, okay? It reveals Jesus' outlook on suffering. Jesus' outlook on suffering, not ours. Jesus' outlook on suffering when he himself endured it, okay? It reveals God the Father's reasons for allowing us to sometimes experience it. For discipline, it says, for love, for righteousness, okay? And it reveals what our, our outlook on it should be. It's not always health, for sure, and it isn't uh, it doesn't mention it here at all, to tell you the truth. It doesn't mention health here at all, but it's the same principle, okay? But health issues certainly fall under the category of suffering, amen? Yes, amen, okay? These verses may speak to you directly concerning difficult times in your life, past or present or future, okay? They say this, consider him, Consider Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted when similar things happen to you. He says, in your struggle against sin, in your enduring suffering, okay, you have not yet had to resist to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation or the urging that addresses you as sons? That means born-again believers, sons and daughters of God, okay? We're not children of God until we've been born again. We're creations of God. And the world sometimes says, oh, we're all children of God. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we have to be adopted into his family, and we become his, he gives us the right to become sons and daughters of God. Okay, we're his creation, but not sons and daughters until we've been born again. Okay, so he says, my son. Do not regard lightly the discipline, or we could say the suffering of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines, or the Lord allows sufferings to come into the lives of the ones he loves. And he chastises every son or daughter whom he receives. Then he says, it's for discipline 
or it's for the sake of suffering that you have to endure. He says, God is treating you as sons and daughters, okay, if you're born again. If not, he will use it as he did me many years ago to draw you to himself because he's so good. Okay, for what son or daughter is there whose father does not discipline him? Who does not, or that could be read, who, who doesn't suffer at the hands of his father. Okay, he says, if you're left without discipline, or if you're left without suffering, in which everyone has participated, then you're illegitimate children. Okay, you have not been adopted into the family because you have your sons and daughters of God. He's going to discipline you. You're going to have to face suffering. It's a normal part of life. But if you're not facing it, you're not his sons. If you are facing it, it doesn't mean you, you it doesn't mean you automatically are his sons because it's a human condition to suffer, especially as a result of sin. But I'm, but he's saying here, if you're my sons and daughters legitimately, then you're going to have to face discipline. Sometimes you're going to have to suffer at some point at some points i should say in your life he says besides this we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us or made us suffer and we respected them he says should we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live for they our earthly fathers disciplined us or made us suffer for a short time as it seemed best to them but he, the Father, disciplines us or makes us go through periods of suffering for our own good that we may share his holiness. And that's what sanctification is about. That's what Christ-likeness is about. No matter, no matter what other thing you want to worry about, that, about purpose in your life, your purpose is becoming born again and being sanctified, becoming Christ-like. That's it. Nothing else really matters that much. It's secondary or tertiary. Because for the moment... All discipline, all suffering seems and is painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it, those who have allowed it to happen, those who have not fought it or spent time praying it away, those who have embraced it, those who rejoice when it happens. This is all biblical, friends and brothers and sisters. Now, while Jesus, let me tell you this, okay, while Jesus loves to bless and loves to heal, and there are many, many examples in the word, both Old and New Testaments, we got to keep in mind that to be healed physically or otherwise is not always or even usually the goal of suffering in our lives. In 1 John 5, 14 and 15, there's a wonderful promise to us if you're a born-again believer. Okay, it's a wonderful thing. It says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, again, talking about born-again Adopted in the family of God believers, people that, that, that had a baptism, dying to their self, okay, all of that, okay? That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us according to his will, okay? And, and, and further, if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him, okay? So, get this, we can seek him out. For his will, and we should. 
But if for whatever reason we don't or can't seem to hear from him, we should be willing to endure and even rejoice, at least in our hearts, the sufferings which come our way. Now, let me share with you something really, really, really. Well, let me see if this is what I want to go to or not. Yes, I do. Okay. This, this has to be said. This has to be said. Okay. Um, well, let me just, let me bring it up this way. Okay. In the Old Testament verse, there is a verse. Okay. And in the New Testament, the same verse that, it, that refers back to the Old Testament one. Okay. Because it seems to be the go-to verse. Okay. Of all the believers. Okay. Pastors, lay people, elders. Okay. Whatever. Okay. It seems to be a go-to verse that, that just automatic. Okay. Trust me. And if you're a believer, you understand. You've been to church, you'll understand. And I'm guilty of it too in the past. Yeah, but now I know better. Okay. It's the scripture of many, of many, okay, good, Bible-believing, God-loving Christians, even to this day, friends, even to this day, okay? But it's wrong, not in what it says, but in how we interpret it, and how we quote it, and how we apply it. And that's major, okay? I'm not chastising anyone. I'm just saying we need to understand this. Why? Because it's so important in the context of suffering, because suffering is painful and hard and difficult and sometimes gut-wrenching for us or for other people we love. So it's got to be understood. But this verse, well, two verses, but they both say the same thing. And one in the New Testament refers back to the one in Isaiah. So they're the same verse, same identical scripture. It's got to be applied rightly, and it's not being applied rightly at all. And I think there's a danger to that, for sure. Okay. When it's, it's wrong when we quote it or speak it, it's wrong when we believe it, especially, and it's wrong when we try to apply it. Okay, I, I said I've done it in the past. Okay, I was learning, and so all these other people. Okay, I didn't know, I believed it. Okay, and I echoed it or I repeated it because I heard other people say it, people that I trusted, people that I thought knew what they were talking about. Okay. Not say anything bad about them, but in this case, they didn't. Okay, so it's wrong for me to repeat it if I don't understand. That's not always right either. Okay, and by the way, just before I say that, there's a verse in Hosea, the Old Testament prophet, chapter 4, verse 6, and it's a very important one. It's a verse that you should humbly, humbly repeat to yourself from time to time. Okay, especially when the Spirit of God is prompting you. To pray or to read or to continue to the read to read the word. <clears throat> if you're already in it and you're tempted to leave it and you're or whatever in the flesh, keep reading. Okay. It says this. He says, My people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. <clears throat> and it goes on to say a couple of other things that are related, but that's what I want you to focus on. My people, my sons and daughters, the people that should know better, are destroyed, pretty strong word, because of a lack of knowledge. Now, we're always learning. We're always reading the word. We're always needing God to illumine our, the, 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 the word to our hearts so we can understand, our minds can understand. But because those times that we cheat ourselves out of reading by not doing it out of laziness or disobedience or rebellion or just whatever okay there's great benefit in scripture obviously 
okay? But let's bear in mind, okay? Let's bear in mind that verse. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, okay? Lack of knowledge meaning we don't understand this verse correctly, and because we don't, we're destroyed by it, okay? Let's bear that in mind. Now, we're going to read Isaiah 53, 5. It says, at the end of it, it says, with his, talking about Jesus, with his wounds, we are healed. Have you ever heard that? By his wounds, we are healed. First Peter 2.24, same thing. It says, by his wounds, or some versions say, by his stripes, you have been healed. How many times have we heard that when it comes to praying, especially for healing? It's the go-to verse. It's the number one. It may not be the only one, but it's the number one. Because when we think of healing, we think <clears throat> most often, unless we're in a really dark place, but when we think of healing, we think of physical healing. So that's our go-to verse, but it's wrong. It's misapplied, it's misinterpreted, okay? It sounds good though, doesn't it? I mean, it says, it says, with his wounds, we're healed. And it says, by his stripes, you've been healed. Sounds good. I'll, I'll say yes, amen to that, okay? It's in the word, right? Twice, right? Yes, okay? So we, so we say, and we believe. And we even trust and live. And we even stand in agreement. Okay, like the word says, and we like to say, we like to stand in agreement that we are healed or that it's on the way or that our breakthrough is coming or something like that, okay? But what happens if and when we're not healed? When we want, how we want, or especially ever? We're crushed. We're disappointed. We become faint-hearted, like the Bible says, okay? We become weak and discouraged, and we even wonder, did I, am I a believer, maybe? Do I question my faith, or do I, am I a believer for sure? But, but do I have enough faith to be healed? I mean, we question all these things, and none of that is appropriate, nor is it necessary if we understand what those verses mean. When it says, we are healed according to his stripes, with his wounds we've been healed, okay? That's not the way it's supposed to be taken. Okay, how do I know? Okay, is it our faith that's weak? Do we pray enough? Are we out of the Lord's timing? Are we out of, are, are we out of his will? No. Well, maybe the will, but none of these other things. Okay, and the reason here, okay, the reason these verses is because of a lack of knowledge, like we mentioned earlier, a misunderstanding and an incorrect interpretation. Okay, how do I know for sure? How should we know for sure? Look at the context. Okay, if I say something to you that's one sentence, but somebody takes that one sentence out of the longer conversation that we just had, it can mean anything, right? Or if they didn't hear the rest of the conversation, they just heard three words out of it, they didn't hear no precede the words that they that they heard so it became a negative thing or you know anything can happen you take something out of context and and, and it means nothing anymore or it can be it can be understood or, or meant or or misapplied to, to mean anything okay so if it's out of context it's nothing it's not it's worthless but we look at the context we're going to look at that context we look at what isaiah is talking about when he brings up healing Okay, when he's bringing up this word healing in his larger conversation, and it's not a huge, long conversation, okay? The same verse, as a matter of fact, but, but just before we, the word that we like to hear, the healing part, 
It says the reason that Jesus was pierced was for our transgressions or sins or iniquities. Okay, so he didn't die so we could be healed of our illness necessarily. Okay, at least he didn't die for that reason. Okay, he died to cleanse us from our sins, to heal us, but not to heal us physically, to heal us from our sins. Okay. Jesus could have stayed in heaven and decided to get rid of our bronchitis or even our cancer if he wanted to, okay? He didn't need to come to the cross and live a humiliating life and, and lay his life down and, and, and be separated from the Father for a time and suffer the sins of the world to heal us of, of a physical ailment, no matter how hard it was. No, Jesus is powerful. The Word is powerful. God is all-powerful, all-powerful. All powerful, omnipotent, not just some power, not just stronger than the devil. He's got all power. So if he wanted to, he can heal us absolutely. So in the context, he didn't come to heal us of our illness. No. I mean, now that we look at it that way, we sure understand that. We should. Okay. It says Jesus was pierced for our transgressions, not for our our rheumatitis, not for a bad back, not for our migraines, not for whatever. And I don't make light of those things at all. I'm just saying he wasn't pierced. He wasn't hung on the cross. He didn't die for our physical healing. He died for our, our spiritual healing. I hope you can understand that. But again, just in case, look at First Peter's context also, because it said the same thing. It may have changed the wording a little bit, but it said the same thing, right? Talks about by his wounds, we are healed. By his stripes, you have been healed. Okay, so that context also says, proceeding again, our word healing, okay, that we're paying attention to, it says this, the exact words, he bore our sins in his body on the tree, cross, why? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Does he care about our physical condition? Yes. But that's not what these identical verses are talking about, okay? There's such great weight applied to those verses when it comes to healing. It's by our stripes, we've been healed, okay? He, by his stripes, by his wounds, by his whipping, okay? By his hanging on the cross, we've been healed. It's like, yes, we were healed, but not of our physical ailments, okay? We've been, they both say, he was pierced for our transgressions, okay? Our healing was of a transgressional type, okay? Peter says it again, okay? We were healed so that we might die to sin, okay? And live to righteousness. So both of them are talking about he died in order to give us healing, but not healing physically. Healing primarily, 99% of the time or 95% of the time, it was spiritual healing, a healing that we needed desperately because we are dead in our trespasses. And he brought Lazarus back to life after he was dead for four days. So we've been dead in our transgression for 10, 20, 30, 50, 70 years. He can heal us of our transgressions. By his stripes that he endured, we are healed if we want it, if we approach it, if we submit our lives to him, if we trust him as our only savior appointed to forgive us our sins. The only name under heaven given by God by which man must be saved. Okay. Physical healing is not applied here. Does it happen? Yes. Did it happen? Abundantly. 
Does it still happen? Yes. Does it happen miraculously? Yes. I'm not a cessationist at all. Okay. But what I'm saying is we've got to understand and not misapply those scriptures. But more important than that, we need to understand the weight of our depravity, of our, of our sinfulness. As much as we want to be healed of our sins, as much as we want to, excuse me, we want to be healed of our illnesses or whatever, that, whatever it may be, that's only temporal. Paul said, light more interior affliction now for an eternal weight of glory later, okay? Yes, it's happening now. Yes, it hurts now. Yes, it's extremely difficult now. Yes, it's even torture now, okay? But we've got to say that our, our, our spiritual healing is much, 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 much more important to God than our physical healing. Not only that, but much more important. Why? Because it's eternal. God is holy and he wants to wipe away the sin. Okay, if you're perfect in his eyes, but you're sick, that doesn't matter to him so much as far as you being sick in front of him. Okay, he can cure you of that, but that's not sinfulness. That's not abhorrent to him. That's not awful to him. That's not an offense to him. That's not a stench in his nostrils. Okay, but what is, is sin. And he's got to deal with that. So Jesus died on the cross to heal us of our sin and our transgressions, not our physical healing. And finally, this is a perfect place, a perfect place to remember or to know or to become acquainted with and grasp and fully understand and make personal, okay? He is beautiful, and they are beautiful, brothers and sisters, and excellent, and they are excellent. And his true, above all, true promise to us, the born again, is one of my favorite verses. I didn't pick it because it's my favorite because God brought it to my heart. Memorize this. Romans 8, 28. Pretty easy to remember. Romans 8, 28. And it says, And we know, believer, that, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And for those who are called according to his purpose. Amen, and amen, and amen, and amen, and amen. Okay? God bless you. And I hope this blesses you. And it will, even if you don't think about it that way, because the truth always blesses. Okay, Let these words bless you. Let them sink into your heart. Listen to them five times if you have to. Okay, I love you. I love you. Can he heal, heal you? Yes. Will he heal you? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Okay, But the important thing is, he died for our transgressions. By his stripes, we've been healed of our transgressions, of our sins, of our iniquities. And that is a weight of eternal glory. God bless you, even now, in the hearing of these words. Praying for you. Bye.